John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to another episode of Car Stories. This episode is a very special episode because this is the origin story of how Amelia and I know each other. Yeah, and this episode was actually filmed before the understanding that I was going to co-host with you, too. I think Car Stories, I was feeling like I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I started losing that Northern Star, that purpose, and then... You know, when they say things happen for a reason or people come into your life for a particular reason, that was one of those moments where it all kind of made sense, you know? Yeah, I always say that and I believe it wholeheartedly that everything happens for a reason. And yeah, it was a great conversation. Felt like I had known you my entire life, but people will understand where our kind of foundation came from after they listened to this episode. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. That it does. Definitely this episode did. So hopefully you guys enjoy. I'm sitting here today with Amelia Hartford. We had a kind of a coffee sit down like a few months ago, got to know each other. And um, I was super impressed by her story, her ethos, you know, her journey in life. She's a fellow uh, actor and she is a car lover or car aficionado and mm-hmm. it's she's a true rarity um in this world because she's a young woman that actually wrenches on her own cars it's not just lip service and saying that i, I like cars or you know and i, I like ferraris and like to stand, <laughs> take pictures of them. she actually wrenches and well, thank you and it's awesome that she also has a uh, grand national which i have and she loves that to be fair it's a limited it's not a real one but i am such a fan of g-bodies g-body <laughs> yeah. yeah same 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. same same so 
Uh, I don't know if you want to share, Amelia. You know, we actually have a connective tissue, and it's up to you if you want to share this because that was a really compelling story, and I, I, I feel like you know something. Yeah, I mean, I'm a pretty open book, so I feel like I really have like no reason not to share. I should preface: I lost my dad at a very young age due to suicide, so mental health has been so important to me. And growing up, I watched my dad live breathe, bleed by trying to become a movie producer. And he was able to do two movies that unfortunately didn't make a return, whatever, but he tried. And I just watched him every night come home, work on the script, every night try to try to make something out of it. And I think that's where I grew up to see a lot of my drive. But in one of the films that he did, he had cast you in, and it was called Forbidden Warrior. And I had actually met you when I was a little child and didn't put that together until much later in life. And that was pretty wild. And this is before the Fast franchise and everything. This was, what year? This was in like 2006, 7? 2005. 2005? 2005. How crazy is that? Yeah. So but, since then, what's your, what's, what's your journey been? I lost my dad probably three years after that had happened. I had this rude awakening that I was going to be alone in my life. I didn't have a dad to tell me, like, this is what you should do with your money for financing. This is how you should save for retirement, you know. And one of the first decisions I had to make in my life was the first car I was going to buy myself. And I couldn't go to my mom. I didn't have anyone in my life to go to. So I resulted to the Internet. And at the time, I didn't realize the race car forums would be biased towards race cars. I thought that was just, oh, die hard car enthusiasts. And these forums had told me that I should get something that's rear wheel drive and manual and something bigger than a four cylinder. So I listened to the internet, which I'm thankful I did. Um, my first car was an Infiniti G35, and mm. I had never driven stick a day in my life. I picked up this car, roasted the clutch on the way home, but fell in love with wanting to perfect how to drive stick. And that was just something that I was able to divert my attention from having just recently lost my dad to then having the sense of freedom and being able to go on drives and really wanting to rev shift down match and park on a hill and see if I can pull forward without it rolling back. And it was something that occupied my time and my mental. And then it was shortly after that that I moved to Indiana where I met the Bloomington car crew known as B Crew. And these guys took me under their wing. They were big brothers to me in a time where I really needed that. And instead of, um, I was going through a really dark time, and instead of partying on the weekends, I had this community where we would work on cars, um, one specifically a DSM in Eagle Town that was just constantly breaking down. So there was always an excuse to get together and work on cars. I am so grateful of that time in the community because when I lost my family, I felt like I had this newfound family and wherever I went, I could find that car family. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge pivotal time in my life to feel like I'd always be safe somewhere. But it wasn't too long after that where I couldn't turn on the television without feeling guilty. I would get mad at myself for not pursuing film and television, not pursuing being an actress, because that's something that meant the world to me. And it's all I've ever wanted to do. The earliest thought in my head was I want to be an actress when I grow up. I love creating. I love living in the moment. 
I just love everything about it. And at the time, I'd since lost the G35. I was doing SCCA races with it. One day on the way from the track, someone had hit me at a stop, totaled the car. The guys helped me kind of put together this um, 240SX um, LS swapped. It was, I love the car. Um, so Nissan was a big part of that, as well as Chevy small blocks. Um, but I packed this little Nissan of mine with everything I owned in it, drove cross country, got a little apartment in Hollywood, and have just been pursuing the Hollywood dream for 10 years now. Wow. I worked as a waitress, living paycheck to paycheck for six years of that. Was on unemployment, food stamps, just trying everything and anything I could to to catch a break. It wasn't until nine years after being here that I got my first role in something. But that's where the car community came back into my life again was when I moved back, I was able to look on the forums, find where the local car meets were. It was nice that I always knew I could go somewhere and find that community. And then probably about six years into it is when I started YouTubing. I had a lot of pressure from peers, from my mom actually too. And it was so funny for my mom to tell me to start YouTubing because I'm like, what do you know, mom, YouTube, please. <laughs> um, but she was right. And I started uh, my first video just walking around my 240. I had been daily driving it to auditions with no air conditioning, constantly breaking down. Uh, and I just walked around the car and said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to rebuild this car and learn how to drift in one month and follow along. And I been doing three videos a week ever since it was only this past year that i started tapering down to one a week so i could really devote more time into acting but that's the long-winded answer of what i've kind of been doing the past 15 or so years now wow and you have a pretty big movie coming out pretty soon can yeah. we can we say can yeah. we say yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no we can say um I'm so blessed and thankful to have the opportunity to be in the new Gran Turismo adaption. That's awesome. It was that such peace on this project because I'm like, I'm literally living a dream that I've only imagined of getting to blend the world of both cars and film. That was really cool. Wow. It was also really nice too, being on a set where everyone was just so kind because mm. um, you hear all these stories, but thankfully... I couldn't have been more blessed with just how awesome everyone was. The opportunity was great. And I got to live in Hungary for a couple months. That's so cool. Yeah. I bet your father, I mean, your father would be so proud of you. And, you know, my memories of your father, I remember you asked me, you were like, hey, uh, I don't know if you have you know good experiences with my pops. And hopefully it doesn't affect this <laughs> coffee that we're having but no he was he was such a great supporter and it was like one of you know my earlier films and it was like a pretty big role for me and you know memories of him were always it's it, everything's positive you know because he had he did he had such great energy when he came to set you could tell that he was so enthusiastic and passionate about what he you know what he was doing you know so i did not I don't have one single like negative memory. Unfortunately, you know, just it's the nature of this business. Some movies work and some don't, you know. And, yeah. You know, we were limited by money and all that, you know. But I, I, every memory of that film is positive, you know. It's so trippy to me that that I used to know my dad that you guys got to work together. It's just I didn't really have anyone aside from my mom who he really knew him. So it was so trippy to to hear you just even talking about him. And it's nice the memories are good because obviously I've, I've talked about it. He had a drug addiction, alcoholism, and towards the end things did get pretty ugly. 
Um, but it's really nice to hear that at least at work, doing what he loved and all he had been trying to do was, it sounds like he was genuinely very happy. Yeah. Uh, and I can relate with that. Uh, issues with fathers, you know, because I, I grew up with a stepfather and I never knew my biological father. And the only thing that I ever heard of him was negative things. Yeah. Like in my whole life, you know, my relatives on my mother's side would say, you know, just don't turn out to be like your yeah. father. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, what hear, the hear fuck are you talking about? Yeah. I've never met this dude, you know, and I actually met him. Did you? Yeah, I met what him. What was that like? And how long ago? I met him right after college was so it was like 95 95 okay. 90 actually around 96 you know i had so many like issues with my stepfather growing up you know and with my mother you know i don't i don't think they were ready to be parents you know mm-hmm. and then i felt like i needed to know who my biological father you know was and i you know kept asking them i was like how do i find this guy and my stepfather actually um, had his Korean social security number and he was able to track him down. Really? Yeah. And then my mother contacted his sister who was living in Washington, D.C. And somehow they got a hold of him and then he flew out to L.A. to meet me. Was this after your success? No, 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 okay. no, no, no. That was, I was like, I had like 10 jobs and living in some like cockroach infested apartment and, uh, you know, I had a you know million jobs just to survive. And in my mind, <laughs> I had this idea of what my father was going to be like. You know, I thought he was going to be like Mr. Rogers, like <laughs> show up in a cardigan and he was going to, you know, say all these like wonderful things to me. And, you know, we're going to go throw the baseball together and yeah. they're going to live happily ever after. Well, you're going to have to create some narrative, right? Having yeah. no idea what to go into it. Yeah, especially having such a, you know, tough relationship with my stepfather. You know, I mean, he was really tough on me. First of all, I never felt like I was his son and I I never felt loved, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had this idea, imaginary idea of what the perfect father would be. And he showed up at the airport. I picked him up at LAX and it was like out of a, like a bad Yakuza movie. He showed up in like a red blazer with like gold glasses, sunglasses, and he and he had this like woman next to him, and he's saying he pulled out this like Virginia Slim cigarette, mm-hmm. you know, like it's like a woman's cigarette, and he lit it up inside the airport, <laughs> and he looked like straight out of like a Japanese Yakuza movie, right? like straight out <laughs> of that. That's kind of gangster. Yeah, it's totally gangster. Right? <laughs> this gold watch, right? Yeah. And then he, I couldn't see his eyes because it's like he was wearing gold, sun, like Porsche Carrera <laughs> sunglasses, right? And I'm like, no, that's not him. But as soon as I saw him, I was like, I think that's yeah. my dad. Because my my mother and all my relatives, my aunts would talk about how, you know, he was like, you know, kind of like a, he was a thug. You know, he was like straight out. Like he went to jail. Like he literally went to jail for like a prostitution ring. And, you know, like he beat my mother. You know, he was like that dude. Like he got my mother knocked up purely just to get like money out of her family, Hmm. right? So I heard all these stories growing up and then I see him and I'm like, I I hope that's not my biological father. And and he sees me and he walks up to me and he's like, hey, Sung Ho, which is my full Korean name, Sung 
Ho, right? So Koreans、mm-hmm. have like two names, like it's Sung Ho or Sung Hee. I was actually going to ask you about why you shortened yours. So I can answer that. It was because, basically, I had to shorten it because nobody in Georgia could pronounce it, right?、Oh. So yeah, <laughs> Sung was just easier. And so then I take him to the hotel, and this woman that was next to him was his translator because he thought that I didn't speak Korean,、mm. and he barely spoke. Well, he didn't speak any English at all. But I spoke enough Korean at that time to be able to talk to him, you know, and just basic conversation. And then we go to lunch, and this is comedy. He takes off his sunglasses, and I can't stop staring at his eyebrows, and he goes. I know you're staring at my eyebrows, and I'm like, yeah, they look like、uh, green onions. Like, what is wrong with your eyebrows? Are they tattooed? And he goes, yeah, that woman that came with me kept saying that I'm I don't have a lot of eyebrow, and she said that you know Asian women are tattooing their eyebrows, and if I do it, it'll, it'll make me look better. And the dude <laughs> fucked it all up. I just I, I I was about to lose it. I'm like, this dude is like gangster, but he has these like. Green onion eyebrows, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he puts his, and then he puts his sunglasses back on. And he's such a ladies' man. The waitress, the Korean waitress, came over, and he's like, you know, he's flirting with her, and she's all smitten. And I'm like, oh, I could see why my mother, you know, like you know, fell for him.、Mm-hmm. And um, and then he 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 starts to do this like like half-ass Oscar performance about how he's been looking for me my、mm. whole life and. Takes off his glasses and he's trying. You know, I'm an actor, right? Like he, so he's trying to cry, right? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> if we had a camera on him, it would have been a comedy, right? And I'm like, what is he doing? He's like, he's trying to cry <laughs> and he's trying to convince me that you know he's like a great dad and like you know he he. I'm like, what's the catch? And my mother kept saying, "It's like, hey, watch out." Because he's gonna, there's gonna be something behind everything he does. Did he want something? Oh yeah, totally. And he, then he starts to ask questions about my mother. He's like, "Hey, I heard that your mom, you know, she has some like real estate and she's like doing all right."、Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. What, 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 what's it to you?" And he's like, "You know, I have a sister who lives in Virginia, and you know, I was wondering if you know, father and son, like you know, we could do something together." And I'm like, "Do what?" And he goes, you know, maybe you should forget about this acting thing. You know, I don't know if that's going to work, right? And I was, he's like, you should go to Korea. I could take you to Korea. You can. I go, but I'm I, I barely speak Korean. Like that doesn't make any sense.、And、he goes, well, we should do some business together. And I'm like, what kind of business? And he's like, you know, I have a friend that has a strip club, and you know, I think if we open some strip clubs together, you know, we could do well. Like you could, you know, translate. You could, you know. Take care of the English part, and I'm looking at him, going, "The fuck is this guy talking about? Strip club, right?" So he had me take him to every strip club in LA. Really? Yeah, to go do research, and then that what during the process, I was like, "What the fuck is this guy doing? Is he just met me and he's like dragging me to all these strip clubs?" That's、right? gotta be so hard to like have this. Not expectation, but this perceived reality of what you're going to go into, and then just be completely shocked、yeah. by strip clubs. Yeah, I mean, when I tell the story, it's very entertaining because you can't make this kind of stuff up, right? And he looked like no, this sounds know, like it'd make a great film. <laughs> yeah, and he he was at home because he looked like a 
Yakuza gangster. Like, you know, the way he's sad and he's like smoking in there, the way he kind of addressed the girls and stuff. He just. I, I, it, it paints a picture that I can vividly see. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and he has this like woman that's doing all his bidding, like translator stuff and like assistant. And I'm like, this is just odd. And, and then he drops it on me. He's like, Oh, first of all, he gives me this gold card, this credit card, this Visa card, mm-hmm. right? Which later I tried to use it, and it 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 was it kept it was declined. <laughs> there, there was no money behind it. He's like, you know, here's 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 a gold card for you to use for all these years. I've never been there, and it's like declined. I, I, I try to get something at Big Five, like a baseball, <laughs> or something, and it like declined. But he he asked for six hundred something thousand dollars. Wow! Right? He's like, could you ask your mom if she could loan us $600,000 so I could open this strip club oh in Virginia, God. right? And I'm like, she's had to work her whole life, right? Like as like a housekeeper and a cleaner. She's not going to give neither of us or anybody in this world $600,000 to open a strip club. Are you out of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And after that, you know, I kind of said, I don't think I need to be around this dude. Yeah. Um, and, you know, after some of the Fast and Furious movies, I got a call from... Uh, I was going to say, did yeah. he reach out? Yeah, when he was dying. He was dying. Oh. He had some type of can- like fatal cancer. And they asked, you know, I had a cousin on his side that reached out to me and said, you know, he wanted to see me. And I was like, see me? And I was in Georgia. I remember I was in Georgia, Atlanta shooting. Yeah, we were wrapping up Fast and Furious 5. Okay. And I remember where I was at the... Um, I was having like, drinks and a sandwich burgers across the street from the hotel with Paul Paul Walker and mm-hmm. you know and a couple of guys that were working on the movie and I get this call and I was like I I stepped outside and I was like I came back in all frazzled and I I remember I asked Paul I was like what do you think I should do and this is where you know Paul was like so sweet he's like you should go see him and I'm like mm, I don't know man I feel like there's something up. And then I called my mom and she's like, don't go because they're going to probably give you the the bill, mm. right? For Because I'm sure he doesn't have insurance, right? And it was one of those weird things, you know, it's like, it sucks because, you know, I wish we had like a relationship, but he turned out to be like, you know, like the worst. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, 
grief, sobriety, love and dating. You'll be laughing, crying and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, you say that your your cars are your kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many cars do you have now? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think I'm at 11. 11? Right now. Maybe 12. Wow. Yeah. And finding parking for them is just half the fun. <laughs> yeah. Where do you park all these cars? Like, um, all over the place? Yeah. At my shop. And then um, I keep a couple at the house, too. So I'm constantly just moving cars around and shuffling and, and figuring that out. Mm-hmm. I met you downstairs. And let's talk about that, that, <laughs> that child that you drove over here. Your daily driver. That was like, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. My twin turbo C8 Z06. I think it might still be the only twin turbo Z06. I haven't been on the internet forums lately to see if anyone else has twin turboed theirs. Um, but yeah, I'm I love the car. I really enjoy it. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if people want to see it, I upload the videos on YouTube. I do stupid things with fun cars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive that you that you you. You wrench like the other day. I was texting you, and you're like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm changing brakes on my, you know, 
Grand National or your Buick, right? Yeah, so. I still call it a GNX, even though it's technically a fake GNX. But yeah, when we were we were texting, I was like, my hands are covered in grease because I'm packing the bearings, and I'm like, ah, trying to respond. But mm. I just enjoy it. There's something so therapeutic about working on a car. Yeah, it's nice to be able to take something apart and then put it back together better than what it was when you started. And it, of course, it has to go right. Otherwise, you're just banging your head on a wall or trying to, you know, need to go take a walk because you can't figure out why, you know, X isn't working. But do you do you feel pressure to have to like record everything you're doing around your cars? You know, it's funny you ask that. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel guilty in a way if even if i'm driving my cars i don't at least bring my camera or like if i go on car rallies or even just sunday drives i need to be able to record it or capture it um so sometimes it pulls me out of being in the moment um because i'm constantly thinking oh i should have shot that oh that would have been a cool shot oh wait this would have been a great thing for this Mm. but yeah i do that thought does definitely cross my mind constantly because at the end of the day you know you're telling a story in these 20 minute episodes of this is what we're doing today. This is how I'm going to do it. This is it finished. And this is how it performs. You know, social media, I have this like weird relationship with it these days. Like I'm actually really afraid of it because it gets me like super bummed out, you know? Why so? I end up like comparing myself to like other people and going, hey, I don't have this many followers. I don't have this many likes. Yeah. and. And then, you know, it's it's not like I don't have any, but then I go, well, what am I even thinking about? And then it it starts to like trigger all of my insecurities. So I do feel like a big reason for people struggling with so much mental health to, in today's world is because of social media. You're constantly comparing yourself to to other people. You're constantly seeing things you don't have. A big reason of why I started YouTubing was, well, one, of course, I I wanted just to make a good living for myself. I didn't do it for the money, but I was like, if I can do anything else and just get by instead of being a waitress, then I'd be happy. But also because other servers in the restaurant, because the joke, it's like, oh, you're an actor. What restaurant do you work at? Mm -hmm. Um, I would see other servers and friends of mine lose roles and opportunities to people who had a following on social media. So Mm. that was a big factor in me being like, well, if I could make a living to still be able to do auditions, do something I actually enjoy doing working on cars and not have to waitress, and I can build a a social media presence at the same time, that just made the most sense for me. Um, And I'm really glad I did that because it would have been very easy for me not to have. Mm. Um, And I don't know where I would have been been today if not. So for someone that is trying to start a YouTube channel or build content, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you put stuff out there doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. I mean, you are successful and you have a following, like a legitimate following. I mean, you have like like a million subscribers or something like that, right? Yeah. Right? So like, I mean, what do you think? Why is it you think people gravitate towards you, you know, and your your content? Like what what is like the ethos or the theme that you try to put into your content? I'm going to answer that in, in two parts. Okay. So one thing Mr. Beast talks about, um, who I'm, I I highly respect everything that he's done in the world of YouTube and, mm-hmm. and other platforms. He talks about if you're going to start YouTube, do a hundred videos just to post, and then from there start ta- tailoring back, looking at which ones did the best, and then from there try to figure out 
what did the best, why it did the best, and then start dissecting and then putting a plan and moving forward. And a lot of just doing the 100 videos too is more the commitment of actually not only filming, but editing. There's a joke that everyone wants to be a YouTuber until it comes to time to edit. But for me, I was very fortunate that the first video um, got an audience. The first video today that I ever produced has about half a million views because it got shared online because I was first to market in the field that I was doing, specifically LS content in the female space in the male-dominated industry, specifically with my 240 and then trying to rebuild that. And from there, I would do simple things like I couldn't afford, like I was living paycheck to paycheck. I couldn't afford things. My friend uh, would let me install coilovers on his car that he bought for the video. And I would be working on friends' cars. I had one shop uh, in the very beginning allow me to have a small part in the garage in exchange for promotion and just helping them with marketing around the shop. And I was able to work on my car and, and get some used parts to be able to do builds. But I think from the very beginning, which it's pretty crazy to watch my first episode, just to see my mannerisms, how shy I was, how soft-spoken I was to where I am today. I think what I've seen continued success from is one, doing stuff that I'm passionate about. I could not continue to do the YouTube grind for so long without just 1000% loving what I'm doing. So picking the builds that excite me, but also... I like kind of pushing the boundaries of things and especially the boundaries of horsepower and finding what the limits of cars are. Uh, so I saw a lot of success with the with the C8 Stingray platform mm. from, you know, at one point being the world's fastest, uh, disclosure I'm not today, and then also building one of the highest horsepower cars and all this being done and my small garage, I was basically living in the shop during that period of time because I was just so happy and so excited with everything I was doing. And fortunately, I had a team behind me that as the company scaled, I've been able to hire my friends and individuals that are just as passionate. So I think for me, what's worked is doing things that I just, you know, that keep me up at night because I'm thinking about it because I'm just so excited about it. Mm. Did you have any pushback from like men out there going you know what is this girl like you know trying to do with oh, cars definitely and stuff? even yeah? still to this day i've always struggled with men and sometimes even women challenging me like oh it can't be real she's not doing it she's reading a script mm. blah 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 but i just try not to focus on that i really just focus on on what i'm doing and the people i surround myself with mm. like i don't think i'd be doing it today if I didn't really love it, you know? Yeah. But even in the beginning, my first couple YouTube videos, if you go back and look at the comments, I think it was like really the third and the fourth. I had some like seriously terrible comments that made me contemplate even continuing YouTube. But really? I can I can only mm. I can only hope that it helped to pave the way for other women. You know, I'm not saying that I was the trailblazer in that, but I can only hope that what I did helped to inspire anyone out there to create content and put themselves out there. What what is the parallels of like you working on a car cuz it's a meticulous, you know, passion, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to have a level of OCD. Right? <laughs> Are there any like lessons you've learned building cars that you apply to your work as an actor? Aside from the give it 110% mm -hmm. at all times. I think something that was actually probably more challenging for me to grasp for acting was trying to figure out a process 
Because with cars, it's very linear. You know, you have to, if you're swapping something, remove X part, replace it with Y part, and then you have Z. Um, where it's acting, it's not so linear like that. It's a little more modular of sometimes just, you know, having the space to think and build out the character's past. And just because you spend 30 minutes doing this doesn't mean you're going to get 30 minutes of work out of it. Sometimes you could spend for acting hours try to build out a character and get nowhere where some days you get really far with it. Mm. I have to remind myself to be patient with the process because it is a process. With cars, it's, you know, if it doesn't work, I hit it with a hammer and (laughs) and sometimes I can get the same result. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you mind me asking what your process is as an actor? One thing that I love to do is to to create a backstory and history, Mm -hmm. right? And that's why I love old cars is that I'll look at an old car and I'll fabricate like a history of like, you know, what what kind of memories happened within that car, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think, you know, when you attack a character, you have to create like a Bible of the character's DNA. If you play like a character in Star Wars and none of it's on screen, like your backstory, you still have to create it. Like, where was he born? What does he eat? Like, what was his... Do you write all that down or do you keep it in your thoughts? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I create like a Bible and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a journal. And I don't know if you read that book, Artist's Way, you know, like every actor. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's part of the curriculum at this point. (laughs) It's a good... It's a good if for for the you know for artists or anybody. It's yeah. a good book to to read and yeah. then you know you put your thoughts in it. But then I walk around and I talk to myself, you know, and I and I and I figure out like how this guy walks. Like you know, was he bullied? Was he the bully? Like you know, what's his favorite food? If he does eat or not, mm-hmm. you know. Um, do you memorize things very easily? Um, in terms of like lines, lines and stuff like that, uh, or do you very don't memorize them? Because you don't want to get them stuck in your head a certain way. Depends on the kind of lines. If it's exposition, it's very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I played an attorney and it's like, you know, like legal jar- jargon. It's like super difficult. But mm-hmm. lines that have an emotional root to it yeah. right, are very easy for me. Yeah. I feel like once you have that clear intention and objective, and then if you can relate to the character, you found that grounding, that's when it becomes easier to memorize. I think that was something I started doing the very, very beginning of, I had to memorize everything before I worked on the character. And now I'm like, no, 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 I was doing that backwards. I got to build out the history. Like memorization is almost the very last thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and also, you know, if when you start working with, you know, seasoned actors, you know, like you think like there's going to be this linear process, right? When you come to set, Mm -hmm. right? Like everyone's going to have their lines like memorized and the you know, the director's going to know exactly what's going to, what shot's going to be you know, going on and how they're going to approach, you know, you know, which lenses they're going to use. But my favorite process is when you show up and, you know, they have a general, there's a lot of preparation. There's been pre-production, but they let the artists and the actors and everybody collaborate and go, let's feel, let's feel like what's going on. Let's hear the words. And instead of telling you, you're going to stand there, this right. is your mark. It's like, where would the character make his entrance and where would he sit and how would you feel? And, and when you get to work with, you know, really seasoned actors that, you know, carry that merit, that influence, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know? It's like you have the general sheet music and then you come together mm-hmm. and you play and you create. Yeah, that's the right? perfect way to, right? to describe it. Yeah. That was something that was so cool about Gran Turismo with the director that, I had the opportunity to work with Neil Blomkamp. He was very improv friendly. And that was something that I wasn't used to. Mm. But I actually, at first I was intimidated as an actor here improv. But then 
I grew to love it because it really allowed us to be free and open and just work with the other actors. And it was, it really opened my eyes to this different world of not being so heavy on the text. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's 
smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. The hardest part for me in my career has been having to convince the creative or the, sometimes it's the director, sometimes it's the producers, right? The people that are in power, that I'm a three-dimensional human being. You know, you and I, we have a different entry point. You know, you're a pretty white girl that comes in, big eyes, blue eyes, right? You're very American, right? And I come in. Even though I'm from Georgia and you know, I'm American as apple pie, they look at me and they're like, "Why you? Why are you here?" You know, mm. they need to explain that. They need to go. Well, if, you still feel like that today, or was that yeah, more? Okay. I mean, I mean, I think it's changing. You know, it's like it's wonderful that these conversations are happening of inclusiveness. But you know, I've been doing this three decades, and you know, I, I, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to be transparent and have like real hard conversations yeah, is, yeah. you know, I don't, there's no opportunities for me as an actor. You know, that's why I'm, I'm going behind the camera, you know, because I feel like my face doesn't affect, you know, decision-making in Hollywood when you're a director. You know, I, I'm grateful for many of the roles and opportunities I've gotten, but, you know, I want to have the opportunity to dive into a role that merits an Oscar, you know? Like, yeah. But I feel like it's so far away, you mm. know, Amelia. Like, you know, in success, like even with the Fast and Furious franchise, a lot of times I don't feel like it helps me because they're like, "Yeah, he's the Asian dude that you know he's a he's a stunt driver," and I'm like, mm, "I'm not. Like, you know, I'm not a stunt driver. Like, I'm an actor. You know, mm. I've done. You know, my career started with you know independent films that went to Sundance. You know, yeah. but and 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 with directors, like I've had to." you know, answer certain questions. It's like, you know, like, you know, they ask me like, you know, what martial arts do you know? And I go, oh, well, why does that have to anything to do with yeah. the decisions of where my character goes within this? And it's like, well, I don't know where to put you. And mm. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's like, well, because you're Asian. And I'm like, what? And then within, like I did a TV show and it's like, every time I showed up, if I had anything to say, it was, you know, like the character went to Chinatown. Right. And I'm like, hmm. And they used to really, really like eat me up. And, you know, like I used to get super down and like, you know, and then that would turn into like just, you know, like anger. And I realized yeah. anger doesn't serve because it shuts everybody down. And you got to, you know, understand the rules and then you got to, you got to win that game. And then you got to be in a position where you can make change. Right. And also we're in America too. You know, there's like 5% of, Asian people in America. So, you know, there's a demographic that show business has to serve. So, you know, I understand that. But, you know, I envy when I hear things like, you know, that you've never had a bad experience because you're treated like a human being when you're invited to set. And a lot of times, especially when I started my career, like I was not, I'm not treated like an equal. You know? sure. And even to this day, you know, it's like, and mm. just to communicate it specifically with directors on set. Obviously, I've had terrible experiences with terrible humans in my lifetime, sure, sure. especially being a woman in the male dominated space. But obviously, I can't 
relate or even begin to put myself in your shoes for for what you're telling me. I'm, you know, that's really heartbreaking to hear a lot of that. You say the franchise you fear could have hurt you doing Oscar-nominated films, but I believe that you could be cast in one tomorrow, sincerely. I don't know if your future entails you continuing to be in front of the camera, if you just want to fully be behind it, or maybe there's a world where you're producing the stories you want to tell that you also star in. Um, but I, I do see a world there for you. Mm. Well, thank you. I mean, that's why I, I'm still in the game, right? Mm. I'm still on the field trying to hustle, and I am optimistic, but... I also don't want to wait for the phone call to never happen. Yeah. And so, and then it's, as I get older, it's less about like me and it's about like how, what's my contribution to the world and even this business and, you know, give other people opportunities. Right. And it's mm -hmm. not like on, I'm, I'm on a soapbox going, okay, I'm only going to cast like Asian American people. It's not that. It's like give any, everybody that is marginalized an opportunity and like, have empathy when you come in, but then mm -hmm. also understand the business of show business and there is an economy behind it. And the more successful the movie is, you know, the more opportunities you have to make change, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of complaining about it, it's like, what can I do to like, you know, contribute, right? And I love storytelling. I love collaboration. I love being on set. Like every moment I'm on set, like I'm so happy. And that's why it hurts because... You know, as an actor or the roles that I, you know, get to be a part of, you're there temporarily. There's just a part of it, you know, like real quick, you're like an appetizer and then, you you know, you're, you're, you're never the main course, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to be the first one and the last one on set and yeah. I like to talk to everybody. I like the whole process from pre-production to production to post-production. So I'm okay not being in front of the camera. It doesn't have to be about me and... Any actor that says, like, I don't care about fame, it's like when you start out, like, you know, it, it is part of the allure, you know, and I don't think I need that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I love, like, you know, I directed a feature during COVID feature film, my first one. And, and it's just an amazing feeling to be part of the process of making a film and then also seeing other people's dreams come true mm -hmm. and being a part of that. Well, and also to yeah. create something from beginning to end, right? Yeah, just like a car. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like it, a car. <laughs> yeah, just just like a car. And, yeah. you know, like a car, I've realized that you can't do everything by yourself. And there's always something that you can learn. And if you keep your mind open, you know, there's a, a wealth of community out there. Mm -hmm. And if you have this, like, empathy and respect for other people and this willingness to learn, it's amazing the community within the car culture. You yeah. know? And I think that's why... I've always used the car culture as a well of community. Like, you know, it allowed me to go have direct access to individuals that, aside from Hollywood, like I would just be able to look up to as fathers, as friends, mm -hmm. you know, as masters of their craft. And yeah. the world doesn't know them. Like, you know, they don't have a TikTok or YouTube. They're just like dudes in a little garage somewhere. You know, Chain like, smoking cigarettes, yeah, working on their car, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah eating eating tacos, yeah. right? But then you hang out with them, and they're real life superheroes. Yeah, you know, they're like they're the father that I always wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, you know, I think that's why I love the car community so much. Yeah, you know? same. Yeah, do you think the kids today are? wrenching like they used to or is it because you know all the old timers are saying oh they're not kids don't even know how to drive manual anymore but then you go to these car meets or you go to like you know 
like SEMA or Tokyo Otisan, it's like a lot of young folks out there. I think because we live in the city, we're going to see it a different way. We're sure more kids are taking Uber and there's a lot of quote unquote car pollution. So a lot of people don't want to drive as much. But if you go outside of the city, I feel like there's just as many kids who are just as passionate about wrenching on cars and wanting to customize it to make it their own, to kind of, you know, tell their own unique story with it and personalize it. But I also don't think things like street takeovers are helping the forward progression of the automotive industry and things like that. But I do feel like there is still a large group of kids who are interested in cars. It just might not be what it was 20 years ago. It's a different way. Hmm. I mean, is it growing? Is it dwindling? I don't I don't know if it's growing. Mm. I see a lot of racetracks starting to close because they can't keep the business. And, you know, I guess if you really look at it, how much wrenching does an EV car really need unless you're changing the brakes and whatnot? I don't know. Maybe I just am a pretty optimistic person or I force myself to be. But I do believe that there are still um, a lot of kids growing up who are passionate about cars, um, who want to wrench. Is it as much today as it was back then? I don't know. That's the catch-22 with these street takeovers, is that the dudes that are doing it are wrenching on their cars. Mm-hmm. What's the thing with these street takeovers? Like, why why are these kids, like, into it? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too old. And I've never been to one, so I couldn't tell you what the hype is. I just see these horrible videos online of kids doing donuts in intersections and some bystander getting hurt from being there. But it seems like they like that getting hurt. It's like a badge of honor, like getting swiped. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, those videos, like these kids yeah. are like being flipped upside down. The only thing <laughs> I, that I'll never understand, you know, <laughs> the only thing I try to think of is like, okay, so, you know, back in the 90s when people were drag racing, shutting down roads in the valley or something like that to go drag racing and the cops would come and they, everyone would scatter and you're placing bets on who's going to win. Like that was kind of frowned upon back then too, you know, but it didn't seem as reckless as what's happening today. So I don't know. Is that just my age coming in and looking at the generation, like all these kids doing this when maybe we were doing the same things at a different point? in our lives, but it was just different because it was drag racing versus donuts. I don't know. It's But the drag racing, there's a point. Like it's yeah. like, you know, it's like who's fastest, who's biggest, who has the biggest the fastest, <laughs> most powerful, right? It's like and yeah. then you bet you're like, I win. Yeah. I beat you, man. Yeah. I get your pink slip or I make the money, well, right? Well this it's all clout, right? Is it? I'm th- I would think so. Who can do the craziest donut or smoke the most tire and then run from the police afterwards? I'm speaking like I like I know this. Yeah. I, I don't really. I've looked into trying to create a film trying not to glorify it as much. It appears that it has more to do with social media following and, and doing crazy shit with your car. But so what? Like, where does it... I mean, going fast is one thing. It's like... Like how many clicks you got because you beat so-and-so or you went you went 200 miles an hour. Like, that makes sense. But then the most smoke, then... then... Or the most views on a video. And then what? Clout? I don't know. (sighs) Clout's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Because you got the most smoke on your car? Cool kids points. How do you continue that? You just go... I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not condoning it, but I would like to understand the psychology behind it. Yeah. Like, why do people get off on this? Because they look like they're having a a blast. Yeah, right. Right? And I... At least from the videos that I've seen online. Yeah. Even the dudes that are getting, like, swiped by the cars, they get up and they're, like, giving each other high fives. Oh, so cool. That was the best, like, broken leg. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't, I don't understand it. Well, maybe we're just getting older. Uh, you I too, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people find you? Uh, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. If you just search my name, Amelia Hartford. Uh, it's spelled E-M-E-L-I-A. Uh, it'll try to autocorrect you. Um, that's where you can find me. All right. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I know. Me too. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Of course. Thanks for being here. Yeah, this was great. Awesome. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.